0: This is Cheyenne Holloway, one of Stephen Hall's all-time great. Here with my guys from Left Coast Pirates. Let's get it. Portland will try to go
1: seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the
0: bucket. Layup. Rolls around it in. And a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pound from Tritton! Woo! What Tritton makes, the world
1: takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego. California. He is Mike Desiree, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is April 3rd, 2022, and Michael, we finally can stop pretending Shaw's not coming. My. God, what a... What a, just an absolutely disturbing two weeks we had to go through, Mike, of sitting there and pretending, Oh, maybe he won't come. Oh, we don't wanna disrupt Saint Pete's season as it's continuing on this merry way. And you know what, Mike? All these people pretended they had scoops, Mike. Everyone thought that they were the one that were gonna break it. Oh, this coming Wednesday we're gonna have a exclusive we're gonna there's going to be a press conference but Mike we sat back and we stayed quiet because we had that scoop three years ago Mike when we talked to Sha but we didn't want to dance on anyone's parade we didn't want to ruin anything but here we go
2: coach Willard is doing a great job but there's always the rumor that if the team continues to have sustained success you know maybe he stays Maybe he takes a different opportunity, and hypothetically, if that opportunity were to present itself, and that opens up the coaching vacancy. I mean, everybody wants you back, right? Everyone's like, "Bring bring Shaw back home."
0: I want to be back. You know, that's home. You know, and I say it all the time. You listen to my interviews anywhere. Team Hall is like my baby. You know, I, I I wanted, I wanted to do well, no, no no matter what, if I'm there or not. Um, obviously, if you know, if Coach Willard moves on and. To you know a different place, a thousand percent, I want to be back and be the head guy there. One thousand percent.
1: There you go, Mike. There's the scoop.
2: You are always yelling at me because I can't contain myself. I'm always jumping over people in my interviews. Shaw would not let me finish. I was trying to set it up on a silver platter, and I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth. Thousand percent, hundred percent. I'm back, baby. Sign me up. It was that was awesome. You uh, still
1: haven't learned. It's not about you, Michael. <laughs>
2: All right, Tommy, we got to get on the same page here. We got to like compare notes before we come into this podcast. I I didn't know you were going to go with the Shaw throwback clip from three years ago. I was going to start with, I know this episode's about Shaheen Holloway and taking over as the Seton Hall coach, but this is the weekend of the final four. Tell me you watched that game last night. Of course, Duke I and watched the
1: game last night, Michael. Come on,
2: that was a great game. That it was, was a, fantastic. That was what college basketball was all about. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, "I go, I'm gonna, I want to talk about this as we kind of open up the show, and and you're gonna kill me because this is not about Seton Hall. I'm I'm broadening the scope here, but I I was saying, was that the most hyped Final Four game since when? And I I think it was kind of obvious that that was last year, right? We were totally hyped up for that Gonzaga Baylor championship game, but it turned out to be kind of a dud as Baylor just kind of stuck it to the Zags. And then I'm sitting there kind of playing it back in my head, go, so what was the last time a game lived up to its billing? And I'm going to go all the way back to the 2015 final four when Kentucky played Wisconsin. Do you re- remember that Kentucky team? Remember was, how dominant was that sure.
1: they were? They were nasty.
2: So for, for those who don't remember that Kentucky team was heading into the national semifinal number one in the country. They basically been there the entire season. 38-0 under Calipari. They have nine top 25 national recruits on that roster and nine guys that will go on to be future NBA players. And Wisconsin, they, they, they were no slouch either. Also a one seed, number three in the country at the time, and they came into that game 34-3, and and they were led by Frank Kaminsky, Sam Decker. I mean, it was just a team that I fell in love with, thinking that maybe they could pull off the upset and knock off Kentucky.
1: I fell in love with yeah,
2: I fell in, I fell in love with the Badgers. Come on, man. No. No, uh, all right. Nigel Hayes? Uh, anyway. Uh they pull off the upset and it was just a game for the ages and ironically they go on to lose to Duke the, the the following uh couple nights later on Monday for for the national title. But those were like special moments in college basketball. You're watching that game and even though those are not the teams that I am tied to, I'm not bleeding Badger red, right? I, I bleed pirate blue, but I'm still on the edge of my seat. Last night, I was on the edge of my seat. You, you kind of got into the thrill of the crowd, just like you did in the St. Peter's games. There was passion, there was emotion. I, I'm sorry for for those who don't love sports or don't get it as to why college basketball still means so much. That was on full display last night, and I, I and I felt that type of emotion as a pirate fan a handful of times, you know, over the past decade plus under Willard, right? You had the Big East tournament run in 2016, culminating with the win over Villanova at the Garden. You had some individual games here and there, like you know, the, the Kentucky game at the Garden, the Big East tournament semifinals against Marquette in 2019. That was like just a, a drag out, bloodbath, old school Big East, tons of fouls, and then Seton Hall rallies back to pull it out. They took down Michigan and Ann Arbor, and you got like the Gibbs buzzer beater against Nova. Uh, in, the, in the quarterfinals of the biggest tournament there was just some of those moments where you were just on edge and you were into the game and you just jumped out of your seat when they won that's kind of how i felt watching some of these games and and maybe i'm a jealous pirate fan because i really wasn't connected to the program during the pj years and you love to kind of just needle me for that oh you follow saint john's you follow saint john's M- misguided passion as a teenager I- i'm sorry I'm sorry that I fell in love with uh, Louis Kornasek and Malik Seely, but I was not on the pirate train for those glory years. And maybe I'm a little naive thinking that Seton Hall can return to that glory. But for the first time in a long time, after Thursday, I believe that they could because once in my life, I want to be sitting there on the edge of my seat rooting for the pirates in a final four classic for the ages. Is that too much to ask? I know I've been spoiled as a professional sports fan. I'm a Yankee fan. I got the Rangers in 94. The Knicks had a bit of a run. But I I want that Seton Hall
1: glory, right? Give it to me, Tom. The level of hypocrisy that you tend to live in, Michael, is beyond me. Somehow, you bring up this Kentucky-Wisconsin, and I can't believe I fell in love with that Wisconsin team. Oh, my God. Michael, I can't believe you. Every time I bring something up that's not Seton Hall men's basketball centric, you're sitting here telling me we're a men's basketball team podcast, Tom. Don't go anywhere else. At least give some love to a Pirates team that had a magical run the last two weeks, Mike. Mike. Give the ladies who went on a run that was fantastic over the past two weeks. Give them some love. Coach Bazella, who gives up his time, who let you in to actually interview one of his superstars this year. But no, you want to talk about Sam Decker and his bad knee. I can't believe you, Michael.
2: Don't make me the bad guy. Don't don't try to paint me as the bad guy. Now I got to backtrack and be like, I am gracious to what Tony Bazella does for us in terms of allowing us to participate with the women's team, being on site and, and catering to us as if we're something important, right? As we as we occasionally cover the women's team, and and they had a magical run, making it to the finals of the women's nit. But the reality is, Tom. If we're going to be heading to the places that Shaheen Holloway potentially could take us, guess what you're going to have to get used to? You're going to have to get used to talking about the national landscape of college basketball because this is where the sights are set. We're thinking Final Four. We're thinking consistency in the tournament. We're talking about being relevant in national recruiting. That's the hope. Those are the dreams with shot, And I don't want to talk small at the hall. I want to think national scope So you better be, you know, in line with what the Blue Bloods are doing because that's who we're
1: taking down, Tommy. I'm sorry, Michael, that your upbringing in pirate history has been so lacking. I'm already on board with the national scope. I grew up with the PJ years. I grew up with seeing an Elite Eight. I saw a Sweet 16. I saw a national championship game. I'm already on board, Mike, but you, you've got to go cross country. You've got to go up to the north. You've got to go all over the place to bring it in here. So let's talk. Let's go and become Pirate-centric because that's what we're here for. You wanna... Let's talk about Shaheen Holloway, the new coach of the Seton Hall Pirates.
2: All right, Tom, let, let, let's start talking about Shaw. I, I think it's it's obvious. We need to start with the contract, right? That's that's the breaking news that hit the, the news wire. Uh, in addition to the press conferences Seton Hall held at Walsh on Thursday. And the New York Post is reporting that he'll earn a base salary of 2.4 million over six years, similar to what departing head coach Kevin Willard was making. And my question to you is did the run make him more money? Was the base salary going to start somewhere lower? Let's say 1.8, you know, 1.5? I mean, does, does Shaw really deserve what Kevin had kind of earned over 12 years or did the run just make it negotiable on his side to kind of bleed a few extra dollars out of Seton Hall? And was it like, what, 200K per win?
1: Well, well, this is what becomes interesting here, Mike. You know, when we were kind of pondering this before we started doing our research I was thinking there's no way they could have lowballed this number just in relation to other Big East salaries. There's no way that you could come in and make shah the lowest paid coach in the Big East. But then I started looking up the numbers, Mike, and the range of salaries in the Big East are all over the board, and it's real surprising. Commissioner Wright, obviously, and well deserved, is at the top with a little bit over $6.1 million. But it goes all the way down to a reported $1.59 million for the recently departed Laval Jordan. So if you think about it in those regards, man, a $1.8 million salary would have been probably a good starting point. But absolutely those wins kind of knocked it up. You know, we were joking around. What? He's getting $200,000 for every win in the tournament, Mike?
2: Well, that begs the question. I mean, regardless of his track record, and we'll get into his track record in a moment, do you really want to let what Kevin Willard was able to establish as the baseline for the Seton Hall's coaching job and kind of reset the clock for Shaw and put him at the bottom of the Big East kind of pecking order? I, I don't I don't think that's fair. I mean, when Patrick came in, he was making almost $4 million, and that's kind of a reason why he's not getting pushed out the door is he's got an extension of $4 million plus a year, I think for like the next three or four years. So, I mean, I, you want that stability. You want to feel like Shaw was given a fair and equitable deal and that there's a possibility to grow from that deal. And then if he has some immediate success, immediate success could be a two to three year window per se. You don't want any of the bigger programs coming to poach him with a number that he can't say no to. So I, I'm happy that the number is sustainable at two four in line kind of where Kevin Willard had set the bar. Don't you agree?
1: Well, it also puts some kind of middle of the pack uh, in regards to other biggies coaching salaries because, you know, all this has, has an effect. You know, you look at it, you don't want people to start thinking again, think small at the hall. They're just going to shortchange a new coach and go on from there. You want to make people think that, hey, we're putting an investment into the team and that includes our head coach. And I honestly think that we're going to talk about this in
2: further detail. I think there's a love affair with Sha in terms of raising the money necessary to sustain his salary. I think at this point you have everybody 100% all on board with the Shah train, right? I mean, at this point I'm intrigued to see what the donor giving day is going to be that's coming up here in the near future. I think you got Shah fully engaged with the fan base. I think the fan base loves the prodigal son coming home right now. Don't you?
1: It's amazing what three weeks did for that reputation. I mean, everybody loves Shaw. They remember the player. They remember the assistant coach. But there was a split three weeks ago prior to the tournament about whether Shaw was quote-unquote experienced enough. Could he handle a Big East program that had been uplifted? Not like your normal Seton Hall situation when Bobby Gonzalez left it. But it, need, it doesn't need to be built up. People were saying we need a more experienced guy to continue the winning fashion. And three weeks, everything changed. So doesn't that beg the question that
2: regardless of what Shaheen would have accomplished in the NCAA tournament in St. Peters, that he was going to be the next head coach of Seton Hall men's basketball no matter what,
1: right? Well, with what we know about the athletic director's history, I think it was pretty much a foregone conclusion what direction he was going to go to.
2: And I'm okay with that. I just think it became an easier story to sell to everybody based on what he was able to accomplish with his subsequent success. But let's kind of take a quick look as, at Shaw's overall resume while he was at St. Peter's. I mean, if you look at what he was doing right off the bat, I mean, there there could have been some questions. Six games into his coaching career, he decides to take a very challenging road test down at auburn and they got run out of the building louis or tommy 99 to 49 but yeah you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do and play those bye games for the program but you know maybe at that point in time you're looking going uh-oh you know th- this could be a long journey i believe he was 10 and 22 at saint pete's in that inaugural season but overall he picked it up remember in his collective four years there He's 64 and 54. And if you back out that first season and just focus on what he started to do when he got his pieces in place, he was 54 and 32 overall. And he was 38 and 20 in MAC play at a 655 clip. He's the MAC tournament champ this past year. And then he goes on this obvious classic run throughout the NCAA tournament as a 15 seed that reaches the Elite Eight. Forget about the seeds that he knocks off. Understand where these teams were in the national scope of the rankings. Kentucky was seventh overall. Murray State was ranked 20th. And Purdue was 10th. I mean, those are just Goliaths that they're knocking off. And Murray State, as we said, was 30-2 and and had a chip on their shoulder of their own with something to prove. And they dominated that game. Forget about just hanging with the big boys. They basically ran Murray State off the court and said, you know, come get us. They led wire to wire in that game.
1: Well, what was really impressive was these weren't kind of those games where something out of the norm happened for St. Pete's. They, they basically played their game. They had really good guard play, which, which basically ran out of luck when they ran into UNC, but It wasn't like they shot 70% from three or they didn't pull a Villanova from 85 and shot, you know, 69% for the game or anything like that. They just played really good basketball. So, Ed, that comes from that coaching.
2: Okay. If I take the last three games off the resume, they lose to Kentucky. They don't pull it out in overtime. But I gave you the resume of what he was able to do to build that team in the MAC to a perennial – challenger for the conference crown to get that automatic bid. Remember one of those seasons, they were number two overall in the conference and the season got paused due to COVID and they didn't play the Mac tournament. He could have possibly got him back there a second time. If I take away the three wins in the tournament, are you still all on board with what he was able to accomplish to then transition to be Seton Hall's coach?
1: Well, let me ask you this question. Is it Shah, the lum coming back with that resume or is it blind candidate with that resume? No, I, it's it's
2: obvious that because he has that extra element of being a Seton Hall alum, that that makes it okay for me, right? Because he's part of the Willard coaching regime. He understands the program. He played in the program. He knows how hard it is to be successful at Seton Hall. All that plays a factor. So if it's a blind resume of just another coach, yeah, I'm kind of questioning whether we're going for another up-and-coming Mac coach or somebody who hasn't cut his teeth enough. But because it's shocked, I'm okay with the resume without the big wins. Well, that's where
1: I'm going to, though, Mike. You know, historically, even if it's not a former player, this is kind of the coach we end up getting. This is basically who Willard was when he went to Iona. This is kind of who Louis Orr was after one year of Siena. I mean, this is the kind of coach we go after. All right. So I want to get into that as to possibly maybe who else we
2: could have gotten if, let's say, Shaheen wasn't in play or, or maybe there was a better candidate that we should have pursued instead of Shaheen. I, I'm not of that school of thought. But before we actually transition into that phase, I want to introduce a new segment that we're going to introduce during this episode and try to work in. As we move forward into next year, and it's called the, cold this tape. season's
1: not even dead yet, Mike. And you're introducing new new uh, the, segments. Come on,
2: man! This show is ever evolving. Get the heck out of here. So I, I'm gonna call again. Look, I, I'm a curmudgeon, right? Everyone thinks I got these like this, this sour grapes and grapes just built into my DNA. All of a sudden, thank thank you for painting me with that narrative. You 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 and Brian felt painting people with brushes over here. All right. Uh, so the the new segment is going to be called cold takes and it's kind of all about what twitter's about everyone's got to throw an idea out there and kind of hit you with what's what's going on right now in this moment but there's also a lot of other people out there that are kind of i don't call it our competition call them whatever you want to call it but there's other people that are out there doing their podcasts and i think they try to catch the audience's attention with you know a what they perceive to be a hot take and we're going to have some fun and, and call it a cold take and i'm going to go to work here so go ahead play the clip and let's have some fun
0: Look, Seton Hall is going to hire Shaheen Holloway, whether they beat Kentucky and Murray State and Purdue or not. But now this hire looks like Seton Hall just got the hottest college basketball coach in the country. What it's done is it's put Shaheen on another level as a head coach. And maybe, just maybe, there were other schools, bigger schools, bigger football schools that tried to pry him away from Seton Hall. I bet there were. Wouldn't you? But there was only one place that Shaheen wanted to go. That says a lot. He was going to come here. He just had to wait his time.
2: All right, so that, that was Brian D'Novellis from the Tri-State Podcast. Clearly, Seton Hall got Shaheen Holloway as the hottest coach. It just kind of fell into our lap. The, the stars aligned. No disagreement there, but my issue with Brian on, on that cold take, as I'm calling it, is I don't think that there was another or a litany of football schools that were going to line up to hire Shaheen behind the scenes. In a different time, in a different place, That might've been the case, but Tom, let me ask you this. I mean, here are some of the football schools that had vacancies and you tell me if Shaheen was even on the radar or if it was even plausible that he was going to be in the mix for these positions, Florida, LSU, South Carolina, and Georgia, which football school was going to steal Shah from Seton Hall in the big picture.
1: Well, uh, this is what I was kind of getting at last week. You know, we were kind of talking about how the timing didn't work out for Shaw to have old, uh, to have alternate viable positions that he could kind of use as bargaining chips during the negotiations. All these positions ended up getting filled by the time the elite eight was played. So Shaw didn't have an opportunity to start really talking with folks because everybody was filling up these positions Now do I actually think that Shaw would have taken one of these jobs? No, obviously not as we played the clip earlier in the podcast about Shaw saying a hundred percent a thousand percent I want to be at Seton Hall But we talk about this weirder things have happened Mike And schools that are desperate and schools that are going through problems like at LSU who happen to have lost their entire roster of players are going to do potentially desperate things.
2: That's fine, but that's fine. But if Shaw's going to sit there and position himself for future success, why would he not want to stay rooted in the Northeast, work the connections that he has in the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, he knows the Big East. He played in the Big East. We're going to get into all of that stuff. Why do you go down south? Why is that even a realistic possibility? I, I think it's a bunch of BS. I, I don't think it aligned whatsoever. I think that, like I said, I think the stars were aligned for Seton Hall in this situation. And yes, I, I think they got one of the hottest coaches, if not the hottest coach, in college basketball. And on top of that, I think he earned it. I'm happy. It's not just the Holloway. He demonstrated to me that his X's and O's on the court were ready. I mean, you saw it on display in the NCAA tournament. But what I thought was really cool, was well, there was a website called Fast Model Sports that put out an article that did his playbook breakdown. Tom, he had nine different sets. Do you remember there being nine different sets in any of – Kevin Kevin Wheeler was cutting his playbook down in the middle of the season. What was he, cutting it down from, like, two plays to one, four to two? Shaw had, like, this intricate nine-play analysis on this website. I loved it. And But
1: right, to be honest – like we're not sitting here bashing Kevin. That too, is too easy, Maryland's too easy, man. Problem. Too easy. Let the Terrapin fans deal with him. He's got nothing to do here Eyeball
2: anymore. pick and roll. nice oh baby. Oh, I've got to the weave forgot about the weave
1: <laughs> you're killing me here but you know let, let's talk about this if not Shaw who could it have been and and I think it kind of breaks down into three sections Mike in, in general that's what we've seen at Seton Hall basically you know we've seen the guys who are the guys who are going to use us as a stepping stone to a bigger program potentially a retread and then what what we really don't look to is the reach the guy that we reached for that we thought that we could go get
2: the that, reach and what? And like the guys out of our strategy or that we're reaching because the guy wasn't good enough. I felt like Kevin Willard might've been a reach when we took my own. No, the Iona, is, They're right? kind of
1: out of our, out uh, okay, of our right, pay right. grade,
2: so to speak. Uh, uh, all right. Okay. So you want to start with what the realistic, the guys that were stepping up, they, they were kind of hot, the hot candidate. Basically, so, the young. So young, yeah, so
1: historically, the guys who do things like this, you know, like the Tommy Amaker, you knew Tommy was out the door the minute a bigger school was going to be knocking on it. So let's talk about those guys. Who are the hot guys this coaching cycle to do I, that?
2: I, I don't think there were a bunch though, right? You had Todd Golden, who was coaching out at San Francisco, and who ends up taking the Florida job in the three years at San Francisco. He had 221 seasons. He makes the tournament this past year, might've made the tournament in the COVID season. You know, he was an assistant at Auburn for three years before kind of following uh, his mentor out to San Francisco and then supplanting him at the head coaching job. So he's got ties to that sec, Southern Southeast United States kind of you know, demographic. I don't see how he would have come to the Northeast. It kind of made sense for Florida to go after him. Young, hot coach, been in the SEC before as an assistant. Bring him back to the SEC, right? That
1: that that fit. No. Yeah, no, that fits with his son. But you also have a guy who went out west and ended up developing a pretty good team with the Dons. I mean, so but he he went out
2: west because but he played, if I'm not mistaken, at St. Mary's. So, I mean, he went back out west because there was familiarity to go back out
1: out there and you come back and coach when you have no experience in the area. I mean, that's two different things. What I'm saying is it's not a stretch to think that he can come in to the Northeast, use that as a stepping stone and move on. Okay, and then then
2: you have Matt McMahon. You know, he, he was the coach at Murray State and he'd been there for a long time. Uh, before taking the LSU job, he was there for eight years and a master record of 154 and 67. He had three NCAA tournament teams. He had four regular season titles. I mean, that's as probably good as you're going to get for an up-and-coming high-mid-major type coach, right? But once again, Murray State, down in the South, goes to LSU, kind of made sense, no? He didn't have any ties to the Northeast. Why was he coming to Seton Hall, even if we was even if we put him on our radar? Why is he coming to Seton Hall? Instead of LSU, outside of the scandal, guys leaving type of situation.
1: Well, again, you seem to be a little geographically challenged. Kentucky is further south. Than say New Jersey. You're gonna but try to sell me that Kentucky not Kentucky's like that South. It's not like Louisiana and is, is, is in the same of, stratosphere. South of so, the Mason
2: Dixon line, Tommy. South of the Mason Dixon line. The problem here is
1: you and Sterling Gibbs took the same geography class in high school, and you don't know where anything is. But yes, you gotta, st- you gotta stop throwing other people under the bus. I'm you not throwing media, anybody flying, under man. the bus. I'm just repeating facts here, Mike. You know, oh. anyhow, you are correct though, and he came into a great opportunity for himself. Was he gonna get an LSU opportunity normally? No, this was a there's a fire down at LSU. They need to start from scratch, and here we've got an opportunity for Matt McMahon.
2: All right, so so I didn't think any of these step up guys were kind of in our radar outside of Shaw. So I, I just nothing else kind of fit that mold. How about these retreads you were talking about? So there's a couple of guys that I wrote down as you told me to kind of look into this. Frank Martin, you know, he loses the South Carolina gig and then transitions over to UMass. So he did come to the Northeast. Would you have been okay with Frank Martin? Frank Martin did take South Carolina to a Final Four.
1: I like Frank Martin. I think he's a fantastic coach. I don't know that I'd be overly excited because getting a little long in the tooth, if you will, it's not like he's coming in and he's going to spend the next 10, 15 years at UMass.
2: Okay, speaking of getting a little long in the tooth, Ben Howland, really great track record, Pittsburgh, UCLA, wasn't as successful at Mississippi State he was out this year I haven't seen his next landing spot would you have been okay if Seton Hall pursuit of Ben Howland
1: I, I love Ben Howland as a coach I think coming back to the Big East would have made a whole lot of sense for him I, I'll go to your geography uh, your geography thoughts there Mike Ben Howland at Mississippi State probably not a good fit you know well, he's so, been
2: all over though. He's been Pittsburgh, UCLA. He's not a geographically, you know, locked in type guy. But I'm thinking the name itself might have carried some cachet.
1: That potentially, but you know, I, I I like him X's and O's. I like his teams. I like his style. But uh, you know, again, yeah. But is Ben gonna be that guy looking for that next big paycheck? Because he's certainly not getting the paychecks that he's used to here at Seton Hall. All
2: right. That's fair. So, so, so I, so then
1: I'll X out this
2: next guy, Mike white going from Florida to Georgia. Once again, geographic, probably similar in pay grade, probably wouldn't come to Seton hall for less versus what he would have gotten staying in the sec. But how about an Archie Miller? You know, he he goes from Dayton to Indiana takes a year off and now he's back taking a step, uh, a lower step down to URI in Rhode Island. Could Seton hall have gone after an Archie Miller if Shaw, was not on the radar. I, I take Shaw over Archie Miller any day of the week, but this is one under the, the, the guys of Shaw was not available.
1: I think we're talking the wrong Miller at this point, Mike, I Archie Miller's a nice coach. Why not Sean Miller bring in if, if he's coming back, he had some issues over there in Arizona, and, you know, but it didn't makes... seem like Stop. Xavier cared about that.
2: Okay. So if we're talking about toxic, then, then I think the guys in the reach category they unfortunately were just toxic at this point in time. You know, you're not going off their Hall of Fame guys that have a clean bill of record here. You have Rick Pitino, and you got a guy like Will Wade who's, you know, really great in his recruiting. I don't know what he's doing to get the recruits, but he's he's great in his recruiting. Could you have touched a Rick Pitino, Will Wade? Were they too toxic, or should you have at least shaken the trees and seen if you could get a Hall of
1: Fame coach in Pitino to come? Now personally, I would not touch Rick Patina with a ten foot pole. You're a Catholic university. You should have some standards. I know Iona is in the same spot, but if they want to sell their soul to the devil to get a better spot in the Mac tournament, hey, that's all them. So now that, wait.
2: That, that's an interesting tangent right then and there. How much of your soul would you sell for a Final Four?
1: Oh, there's a good question. But but is is Rick Pitino at his, like, Larry Brown stage where he's going to spend a few years here, a few years there? Are you taking him for his word, believing that he's going to stay at Iona for the rest of his career? And how much know. of a career does he's got left?
2: They're all fair questions. I I, I personally don't think that the Iona is his final resting stop in his coaching career. I think he's got one more big gig I don't think it's a long stint. I think it's a five-year window, but I think he aspires to prove to the world that he could get back to the Final Four, win a national title one more time. And as much as he's done at Iona so far, that is a one-big-league in the MAC. You got to win the the tournament title. So he's he's been able to do that his first year when they had to kind of put his roster together. He had the best team in the MAC clearly this year, and he gets upended by the eight seed in Fairfield. I mean, it just I I think he wants higher aspirations in terms of how he goes out. I don't think he wants to go out with Iona. He could compare Iona to Providence. All he wants. He he wants the big stage. Like he had at Kentucky, like he had at Louisville. And I don't know if Seton Hall would have been that, but, but I think he wants something bigger than Iona. No, I, I don't think he would have fit at Seton Hall. We have much more respect for our Italian restaurants. <laughs>
1: oh, man, that's awesome. And, Will Wade, come on, let's be honest. He's not going to be able to drop a bag the size uh, that he could with LSU that he's going to be able to drop with any other school outside of the South. It just doesn't work that way, and I'm not quite sure that he's going to be touched by anybody until all of this ncaa fbi conspiracy investigations get get completed so i think will wade is going to be sitting on the sidelines for a little bit so so i kind of feel like this whole segment was kind of pointless right none of those guys on that list were really
2: coming to Seaton hall but it kind of just puts it in perspective we were honed in on one guy we didn't really have a national search we didn't interview anybody else because none of it made sense you stack up any of those guys next to Shaheen Holloway. And it just didn't fit as well as Shaheen coming back home. So I'm glad we did the segment to kind of just debunk the concept of anybody else, no matter who the name was, but it was Shaheen Holloway the entire time. Like you said, it's been Shaheen Holloway for probably three to four years now. Has it not?
1: Are, are, are you trying to say, Mike, it's Holloway Holloway or... All the way? Is that what uh, you're telling that, me? That,
2: that's weak. Let's just give me a different transition into this next segment. <laughs> All right, so so Shaw's coming, but we really still don't know who's going to be his wingman. And the question is, does, does is he going to get Rasheen Davis to come over from St. Peter's? I mean, got a nice track record. Arizona State, VCU, UMass, Manhattan, coached high school ball at Rice, coached AAU ball for the New York Gauchos. And, you know, he's been with Shaheen through the run at St. Peter's. Sounds like a good fit for me, right? He's got biggie's ties. he's got New York ties. I'd be okay with that.
1: but but who else, Tom? Well, if you take a look at the old guard that is was Kevin Willard's coaching regime, you know, there's not much left here, you know. Grant Bellmeyer, congratulations. just filled out the last assistant coaching spot on Coach Willard's staff down in Maryland. Dwayne Woodward earlier this week took a position with URI with the aforementioned Archie Miller, but that leaves Donald Copeland. Now, I don't think Donald would be a bad guy to keep. I mean, he's from the area. He's got a lot of ties to people. Why not keep Donald?
2: I have no problem with Donald. I mean, Donald's been always good to us, so I'm not going to badmouth Donald. But he still has a lot to prove in terms of who he can get to commit to Seton Hall. He doesn't have that track record yet. We talked to Donald uh, when he first got the job, and he's like, I'm going to work my butt off. I'm going to pound the pavement. I'm going to earn my stripes. Kind of aligns with the mold of Shaheen Holloway. You know, you want to count me out? You want to treat me as the younger dog. I'm gonna come out swinging, and I'm gonna prove you wrong. I have no problem with Donald being on the staff, but he still has to prove himself. He still needs to earn his stripes before you know we start kind of putting him into the the point guard whisperer type category.
1: But as you say that, though, did we not see a lot of improvement toward the end of the season with the guys running the point? After Bryce Aiken went down, you know, we had a little bit of a struggle uh, with Kadari Richmond, but Kadari really picked up his game toward the end of the season. Jameer Harris certainly became an adequate backup point guard as time progressed. So maybe it just took a little time with Donald. I don't know. I'm not there. I I'm not gonna pretend I know what's going on. But you know, I would like to uh, see Donald Copeland with a shot at it.
2: Those are really fair points. We're always kind of picking at the player development kind of attitude of hey, you know, is it really truly warranted at times? You know, those are good observations in terms of how the backcourt point guard play specifically transitioned with two guys who were clearly struggling at earlier points in the season. And if that's Donald's role on the staff, he yeah, should get credit for that. Heck yeah, you should get credit for that. So, all right, I'll, I'll give him that one. I'll give him that one. We, we still want to see more from Donald to build his resume. He only had one year at Seton Hall. So if Shaw likes what he saw so far and he wants to keep him on staff, I'm okay with that. But Shaw's got to bring in some players. And he's got to kind of do it quickly, whether it's going to be the transfer portal or is he going to get back to the grassroots recruiting of the tri-state area? Is he going to get that tough New York, New Jersey kid that he built his program around St. Peter's? And can he get those guys at a higher level of talent that he brought into St. Peter's? That's the question. So let's go through some of the things that kind of resonate with Shaw's profile in terms of his ability or forecast. Uh, To potentially recruit at this high level. I mean, you have to sit there and say that every time that they played a game on CBS for the last two weeks, that was just free advertising, national exposure, not only for St. Peter's, but for everything that was Shaheen Holloway. I mean, everybody in their living room with their parents has got to be sitting there going, I want to play for that guy.
1: Well forget the run even ever since the run ended and Shaheen went on this national media tour, it feels like. I mean he was on Rich Eisen. He was on with Jim Rome. He was he was a center spotlight on multiple shows after he took the job. PTI had a section about him. Uh you know, CBS Sports covered him. There's tons of videos all over YouTube. I haven't seen this kind of Seton Hall-centric news-loving since P.J.'s days, and that's just a fact.
2: That's fair, uh, but that, that's going to run its normal news cycle course, right? And And maybe it lasted for a week instead of his 15 minutes of fame. The fact that St. Peter's made it to the Elite Eight that will have a historical reference. Absolutely. That will always Absolutely. be there. I mean, he could we could whip that out of his bag of tricks when he's sitting in that living room going, if you're underappreciated and you want to go further, watch what I did with that St. Peter's team. They can, you can never take that away from him. So I that's checkpoint number one for me. I just think he has a great reputation for who he already was as a player. I mean, he was a McDonald's All-American and the MVP of the game that he played in. And there is... Stuff that he could take out of the archives in terms of pictures where he's sitting there side by side with Kobe Bryant. That's like royalty for these kids. Kobe Bryant. And there's Shaw saying, I played with that guy. I was better than that guy. Here's my trophy. Right? I was the MVP. And people love Kobe. That's going to resonate. You know, and when he was at Seton Hall, three-time All-Big East, he's got the NCAA winning shot against Oregon. He's the program assist leader. He's no slouch. This is not Kevin Willard, the coach's son, averaging like three points a game and going. I oh, know I really didn't. I wasn't a good player back then. You know, this guy could go. You want to learn? Learn from me. I-, I could ball. He's got the bravado to tell you I could ball, and at the same time understands how to be humble and understands what it takes to work hard. Shaw had the knee injury and then he battled back to be Big East most improved player that same year that he led Seton Hall to the Sweet 16. This guy's got moxie. He's got cachet. He's got history. He's got a track record. Tommy, I'm, I'm in love, man. I'm in
1: love. <laughs> I, I know you're in love, Mike. I'm going to have to hold you back sometimes here. But, you know, what's more important than that, in my opinion, is building the local ties again. When P.J. was having his success – we were getting guys from the big time New Jersey schools, primarily St. Anthony's back in the day. Shaw is a graduate of St. Patrick's, which is now the Patrick School. And we've had a litany of guys that have come and played for Seton Hall in the past from the Patrick School. You know, the aforementioned Grant Billmeyer, Bryce Aiken, Jeff Robinson, Sam Dallenberg, Derek Gordon, these are just a few of the names that have, that played for Seton Hall that came from that school. If we could start building those ties again with the Patrick School, with potentially a Roselle Catholic and other schools that are producing these guys, this is going to be a positive for the school.
2: Well, because maybe, just maybe, and I don't expect it on a consistent basis, maybe we get the Kyrie Irvings, the Jonathan Kamingas, the Michael Kidd-Gilchrist those are one and done type guys. But if you have a legit contending roster that can challenge for a final four, and then you add the right five-star piece, even if it's only for one season, can I illustrate the Carmelo Syracuse team? That was a solid Syracuse team. And you added a five-star one and done NBA elite type player. And Carmelo put them over the top to win a national title. Now I know I'm getting way ahead of myself right now, but the point is those pipelines are here. They're in our backyard. they are a stones throw away from Seton Hall and Shah's an alum. Maybe, maybe I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming, Tommy. I'm going back to my opening monologue and saying, let me be sitting in the final four at the edge of my seat. Let it come true one day. These are the types of building blocks that might get you there. I'll give you another connection. I'll give you another building block. How about Kevin Boyle down at Monteverde? He coached Sandro village. My boy. I found a way to get my boy back into the podcast. How do you like that? But there's a connection from Kevin Boyle to Seton Hall. Kevin Boyle played at Seton Hall. But what I loved about what Kevin said when Shaheen got hired, he goes, as the first great player to take a chance on me as a coach, I owe a lot To Shaheen. You want to start reading between the lines? What the heck does that mean?
1: Hey, man, start passing us players, Kevin, and we're going to be very happy about that. That's not a big deal. But, you know, additionally, Mike, he can be the guy to tell these kids hey, why don't you stay in Jersey? What do we hear from the front office guys? What do we hear from others? Guys that are from Jersey, from New York, want to go somewhere. Well, this, in Shaheen, you've got a kid that could have went at the Cal, that could have went down to South because he was taking trips to places like Duke and other places. Stay in state. Become that hero. Become the folklore of the state. And you are gonna you can do it with him. I, I think that might be
2: a little unrealistic, unfortunately. I think some of the things that we're going to see in terms of NIL and the money that these other big power five football schools. You know, Brian felt me mad, sorry, power six, you know, but, but the football schools that drive the money, you know, I don't expect him to out recruit that. I don't expect him to out recruit a UCLA where there's sunshine and girls, you know, and, and 70,000 people at a football stadium on a Saturday in the fall. You know, that, that's a different environment that Seton hall just can't offer. I'm okay. If he gets consistently the Kadeem Carrington's, to stay local right why can't we get the desi rodriguez is that three to four star recruit to stay in our backyard i I don't expect them to out recruit the five star and make them feel like you know it's it's saint patrick's reincarnated here at seton hall i I don't think that's fair but I, i don't think it's unrealistic to nab the occasional higher end recruit and get that one guy or two guys to stay home but he's not putting together a, a, a starting lineup of all five-star New Jersey and New York guys. That, that's, I'm not that's saying not
1: that. You convince one or two here or there to stay, and all of a sudden, you might have yourself a big-time program.
2: Okay, and that's fair. And then you start building a culture. And then you start creating what uh, Jay Wright has created at Villanova. And, and, and that becomes acceptable, right? And then maybe it's okay then to stay. We haven't gotten there yet. Let, let's not put the cart before the horse. That's and I'm a big not, expectation. I'm, I'm
1: not thinking we're going to be North Kentucky by any mindset here, Mike. Okay, so I, let's...
2: I, I would just like to be on par with Villanova, and that's 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 even asking a lot. I mean, he a program that's won two national titles and been to three Final Fours in the last six years. Long way to go here, folks. Long way to go, but the building not, blocks are potentially there.
1: You're not exactly leaving air if you're taking a two-hour drive down the turnpike to to Nova. So I don't want to hear it's,
2: it. it. It's a nice campus, though. It is a nice oh, campus. It is in a like nice away.
1: place. Okay.
2: Okay. Uh, he also has another job in front of him that I think he's going to be able to do and resonate well with certain players, and that's going to be able to get the guys that are on this roster to potentially stay. It could have been a rebuilding season for the Hall this year, but. We kind of put our chips into the transfer portal, Yetna, Harris, Kadari. But we had a really up-and-coming young freshman class that really didn't get developed, whether it be red shirts or injuries or uh, player minutes availability with a uh, Tyler Powell. But how about a kid like Ryan Conway? When he sits there and, and comes out with the following quote, I get excited again. I love the genuineness and the work ethic He gets out of his players, Conway said. I love that he was a point guard and he played at the highest level, watching the passion he coaches with and that his players play with. Makes me real excited to play for him. That doesn't sound like a guy that's going to follow Kevin Willard back to the Maryland area, you know, the coach that originally recruited him. That sounds like a guy who's kind of bought in. Whether that's just a press clipping or not, I don't know. I got excited by that quote.
1: You know, I, that's going to be, I think, a topic for for the, when we do our season review where we talk about who do we think stays and who leaves. But that quote gets me excited. The fact that Tyler Powell puts out a little video of him already working out, getting ready for next year. And unfortunately, he was abusing Ryan Conway all throughout the video. But it was good to see. You know, you've got guys who didn't play a lot of minutes, still talking about being excited to stay at the hall. Okay, so last topic here on his recruiting prowess or his recruiting potential.
2: I said, hey, you know, don't expect them to be outbidding people in the NIL uh, space. There's some big money that's getting thrown around. I mean, to hear the fact that a Pablo Banchero at at Duke is making a seven-figure NIL, that's just, that's just not going to be in our space. But you have to kind of feel that Shaheen Holloway's engagement The love affair with Shaheen Holloway is going to increase fundraising. It's going to get that practice facility donation path on the straight and narrow. Get us to the number that we need. Keep up with the arms race. I think fans want to give. I think your bigger alumni are going to be engaged with Shah. I think Shah is going to be engaged with those alumni. I mean, I have it on a good source that Kevin Willard, really didn't show up to a lot of the alumni functions where you kind of have to rub elbows and kind of, you know, get those donors on board. Maybe he was too busy working on his handicap, Tom. I don't know. Mike, are you breaking a scoop
1: here? What's going on? This isn't, I don't, I'm, I'm in the, I'm
2: in the know on this one, Tommy, but I can't oh, give up my source. Man. Okay. You just gonna have to trust me on this one. Uh, no, I mean, look, like, all kidding aside, there was the time that they were down in the Bahamas and a really high level donor, maybe he had a couple, But after they blew the Oregon lead, him and Willard were back on the elevator, heading back up to the rooms. And let's just say it wasn't a pleasant experience. I don't know if people remember that. You got to play the politics in this position as much as you have to play the role of the coach. You know, I think part of the knock on Lewis Orr was that he wasn't grinding the recruiting trail. He wasn't putting in the time with the alumni. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what we've heard. And at the end of the day, it's a two-pronged attack. You got to raise the capital and then you got to deliver on the court. I'm telling you, it seems like Shaw is all in in terms of doing what he needs to do with the alumni base. You
1: you just love that TMZ stuff, Mike. I and do, it, I do. It, you, you just do. It, it gets your blood going. You know we're talking about recruiting. You know who I think he needs to recruit? And I hate to do this to him because I used to love hanging out with the boys from St. Pete's. He needs to start recruiting some of his old players. And I'll tell you what, if I had my gumption, if I had one guy who I want to come over and transfer to Seton Hall, it'd be Casey and Defo, man. Six I mean- foot seven, Uh, You know, kind of undersized four for the Big East, but he acquitted himself well during the tournament. And even in that game against UNC, I want to say he was credited for six blocks. They had two fouls that they called on him that should have been straight up clean blocks. He could have had eight blocks in that game, Michael. Slow down, slow down. You're all over the place here. I am not over the place, Mike. I'm talking about relevant things.
2: Okay, so I I think it's going to come up. I think a lot of people are going to sit there and say, hey, this roster has some holes. And how do you fix that roster in the first year? And obviously, everyone's pointing to the transfer portal and the thousand plus players that are out there. But I think it's easy in that first year to bring over a guy or two that understands your system, has bought into your culture. And I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. And and I think in depth, fits the mold. It's not like he's an end of the bench guy. You know, 10 and a half points per game, six rebounds, almost three blocks per game. I understand there's a different level of competition on the Mac, but let's take the Murray State game. 17 points, 10 rebounds, six blocks. I don't know what blocks you were counting in the North Carolina game.
1: He had two fouls called on him that should have been clean (laughs) blocks. Maybe you didn't yeah. watch the game, Mike. You love shots so much. Maybe you didn't watch the game. Uh, here we go. Uh, he's got one
2: year of eligibility left. So I like the fact that, you know, you're bringing the guy in and he's kind of more of a stopgap player. He's an outstanding defender, but yeah, there's going to be pros and cons as anybody kind of deliberates and says, should we bring this guy into the program? He's undersized. As you mentioned, he did have 2.9 turnovers per game. And he's a poor free throw shorter at 58%. But, I mean, what what big guys on our team are not poor free throws? I was going to
1: say, he historically <laughs> fits in with the C and all bigs, Mike.
2: Uh, who who else? Who else? With the rich get richer and we keep on stealing from the little brother over in Jersey City?
1: Well, to be honest with you, Mike, Casey's the only one I see really fitting in. But let's talk about some of the guys who made a name for themselves for one reason or another. Doug Etter became as popular as anybody could have become basically because of a mustache, but he's a player outside of just that awful stash. Scored nine and a half points a game this season, got two and a half rebounds. He had 20 big points against Kentucky. So the big stage does not freak him out in the least. And he's got two years of eligibility left.
2: Hey, look, there's a lot of things to like about Doug Eddard. He's an outstanding player free throw shooter great great fun even doing it justice he was an 85 career free throw shooter and during the 2022 postseason play mac and ncaa tournament combined 90 and he wasn't just like nine out of ten tom 34 out of 37 during that stretch he shoots 39 for his career behind the three-point line he's smart he's crafty and you could take whatever shots you want man that mustache is marketable it just is. The people love it. Did you see his picture at the press conference? All the cheerleaders and dance squad lined up. He's got a little harem around him. I mean, that kid is living large right now. Don't be taking good shots at the him, mustache. No,
1: I love it, but that's not a good stash, Mike. It's not a good look.
2: Right, look, if you want to take shots at him, I mean, let's be fair and, and be critical about his game. He's not a distributor, so he's not coming over to play the point guard role. Only had a less than a one assist per game. He's a slow on the ball defender and he's kind of undersized for a biggies two guard. So, I mean, are you bringing him over to recruit over a Jaquan Sanders? You're saying, Hey, come on, come on and join the team. And I don't want Jameer Harris
1: back. I mean, where does he fit is my question. I, I don't know that he fits. If he had another two inches on him, maybe you bring him in as a two off the bench, but he's small. I, and the, and he's not going to make up his own shot off the dribble. That's not his game. So I'd find a hard place to put him into. So I don't know that you bring him over.
2: Right, well, How about Daryl Banks, the third? He's also a two-guard. You know, 6'3", 165 pounds. You know, he averaged 11 points per game, two rebounds or two and a half rebounds, an assist and a half. He had 27 against Kentucky, 14 versus Purdue, also has two years of eligibility. I mean, the guy can flat out score and create his own shot. He's not afraid of the big moment from what we saw in the tournament. And he's also a really good free throw shooter at 85%. And I'm going to connect the dots for you. St. Patrick's kid.
1: Yeah. Again, he's a, he had a great tournament run, but once again, where does he fit in really, especially with the guys coming in being recruited? I mean, We've already got a log jam at point guard. Some of those guys are obviously combo guards that are going to need to play some two. So I don't see where a Daryl Banks third fits in.
2: No, I, I don't either. He's, he's a high-volume shooter. I mean, he took 14 shots per game this past season for St. Pete's. He put up a high-volume of shots in his first two seasons as well. He only shot 38% from the floor, respectable from three at 37%. But he's streaky. As much as he had those big games uh, against Kentucky and Purdue, he only had six and seven points versus Murray State and North Carolina, respectively. So, uh, if he was a big time player that was just playing at a level below him, I'd say, yeah, let's go get him. I I think he could find a role, but once again, I I don't think he's a high level biggie's player. He could be a nice role player for the team. So I do you bring in three guys. Or even two guys that are going to be role players. Or does Shaw need to go fill roster spots and get maybe one or two guys that are going to be high-level contributing pieces on this roster next year from the portal? Otherwise, I, I know I'm jumping the gun. I think it's more of a rebuild.
1: Well, if we look who's not coming back and who is coming, basically, our front line's going to need some work. And neither Daryl Banks third or Dougie Mustache are going to fit the bill there. It's why I like KC so much. But, you know, speaking of the St. Peter's kids, how heartwarming was it to see the entire team at the Seton Hall introductory press conference for Shaw, Mike? And, you know, I wasn't as impressed with uh, Shaheen's message out there as much as I was with all the interviews he did leading up during those games, during the tournament. I mean, he seemed to answer every question well. He had funny stories. But then I kind of, I listened to it a couple more times and, and it dawned on me. This wasn't your normal introductory press conference. This was, as I read somewhere, and I can't remember who stated it, a coronation, if you will. A welcoming home. Shah didn't have to introduce himself to us. We already knew who he was He was just coming in, thanking the people, and it felt great. By the third or fourth time I watched it, Mike, I was just like, oh, I get it. I get what we were going for here, and it came out perfect. It
2: was a celebration. It was a make-you-feel-good event. Like I said, it's 180 compared to what Maryland was doing oh, here to their fan at. base with Kevin Willard. Look, I'm, I'm being serious. It felt like the way that Maryland presented Kevin Willard was a little bit of smoke and mirrors. They had to kind of sell Kevin to the fan base. He clearly was not their number one choice. There was a couple other guys on the list ahead of him. And when they you call it settle or they ended up with Kevin, however you want to paint the picture, There were some fans out there that were like, I'm not sold on this. So the entire dog and pony show was about propping them up and making you feel good about the choice that Maryland made. You didn't need to do that at Seton Hall. Everybody was on board. This was 100% buy-in. Like you said, it was a celebration. It was a coronation. You got, got, geez, Hobbs came back, Tom. Yeah, a Rutgers guy showed up. And they didn't boom out of the building, Mike. Harry came out of the woodwork. You had all the lums that were there. It, it, was, it was, it was like, a, it was a great in, environment. But like you said, the St. Pete's kids showed up. The St. Peter's kid. He just spent the day prior telling them for three hours, Hey, thank you. But I have to take this opportunity. And they show up the entire roster and they're there front and center to cheer him on in his new role. When do you hear that happening
1: ever When do you ever do that? I've never seen it, Michael. And, you know, last week we happened to retire our favorite segment, Deep Thoughts with Kevin Willard. But we kind of said we had to keep this going with Shaw, but we had no idea what to name it. Luckily, we've got lots of folks on the Rivals Forum Board that came up with a bunch of good ideas. But we haven't... Finalize the name, but today we're gonna to use the term Great Talk with Shaw, and we're gonna start off with him happening to mention those same St. Peter's guys that were at the presser.
0: Hold on. Pirate Nation, we could do better than that. Pirate Nation, those 15 young men right there, stand up. Get up.
2: And that was great. I mean, what he did to set it up the first time was fine. And we get, we, everyone stands up and they give him a standing ovation. He's like, eh, eh not good enough. Not good enough. It, like everything about what he says resonates to that game's not going to be good enough. That effort's not going to be good enough. Hey, we got knocked out in the first round. That's not good enough. We finished second to Villanova. That's not good enough. Tom, I, I, I love it. It's his demeanor. It's his attitude. You just feel like it's going to carry over into everything else. And it, it was just a simple... Hey, we can cheer louder, but I, I expect better. I demand better. Like, this is my coronation. I demand that you stand up and do it again. I mean, how awesome was that?
1: I, You know, beyond that, I mean, I know you're going to that level, but him just simply acknowledging that his team was there, he didn't need to do that. They didn't need to show up. He didn't need to mention them a second time. I think this goes past the I'm going to demand better effort from you. And he shows you, I love you guys. I'm going to connect with you guys in ways that other coaches will not connect with you. That's the best part of it.
2: Well, and that's the beauty of it all. You're interpreting it one way, I'm interpreting it another. But it's all positive. He comes up smelling like roses no matter how you want to break it down. And we're doing Deep Thoughts with Kevin Willard. And I, my hairline is definitely receded <laughs> since the, the first episode we did four years ago. I mean, I, you could see my hair lushly coming through on the Zoom. And now I'm doing this episode and I'm like, where'd it go? Where did I'm pulling out my hair listening to the Kevin Willard sound bites? And I know it's early but I haven't heard a bad one yet.
1: After just giving some love to the St. Pete's kid, Shaw also showed some of that bravado, some of that, you know, I I don't know if I want to say ego, but, you know, there's a little ego in Shaw's talk. He knows he was good and he's going to bring it up because he he makes a comment toward the end of it that kind of raised eyebrows a little bit.
0: And since I'm on Terry, uh, uh, Terry, you know everybody's talking all this stuff like i'm still waiting for my jersey to be up there i'm not sure why my jersey's not up there yet. i graduated over 20 years it should be up there already <laughs> <laughs> that's good stuff right there mike
2: i mean just just clip it save it and when brian felt comes on that should be the first thing we play for brian And would be like brian we talked about the ring of honor last year I mean, can can we get shaw's jersey up there Let, let's start the ring of honor with shaw being the first to be acknowledged I know, I know, Tom, you want more Brian up there and Danny Calandrillo, but where's the ring of honor already? Shaw's
1: right. It's been 20 years. And for some of these other guys, it's been 30 plus. He's not talking ring of honor, Mike. He's talking. (laughs) I want my Jersey retired. He's not going, he's not taking half measures here, man.
0: Uh,
2: It was kind of inspirational. He did leave you with a nugget of inspiration that made you kind of just, you know, pound your chest and go, all right, I'm ready. Let's go. When when does the next season start already?
0: Thank you, everybody, for coming out. I appreciate it. Just know I'm not going to mess this up. I can't mess it up. It's way too important to me. So I'm putting the work in. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, brother.
2: In addition to that quote, Tom, I mean, he he put that message out there over and over again. I think it was the New York Post article, and it says, uh, this is too important to me. This is home. This is something I dreamed about. I can't afford to mess it up. I won't mess it up. I'm going to work, 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 and work. I mean, I remember Kevin Willard once again. I keep on going back to Kevin. Kevin's like, no one's going to outwork me here at Maryland. No, I think Shaw's going to outwork you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, t- I'll take my bet that Shaw's going to outwork you. How about that? I, I got my, all my eggs in the Shaheen Holloway basket. Let's roll, baby. Let's roll.
1: I'm going to have to keep your feet to the fire, Mike. You know, I'm just saying, you know, there, there's you're just way too excited about this. I'm going to have to make sure you stay even keeled here.
2: All right, I got one more nugget before we wrap this up because it's all about doing the right thing and I and I can't, I keep on picking on Kevin Willard. but you know what when Kevin sent Shah, however you want to say it ever we created the the pipeline to St Peter's, the succession plan and he went over there to coach them, do you realize that we interrupted that series that was going on for decades, decades before Kevin Willard was the coach here? And then he pulled the plug on that matchup when Holloway went over to be the head coach of St. Peter's denying his former right-hand man, what was perceived to be a much needed guaranteed money game. Those programs rely on the payday for those kind of matchups. And Kevin didn't give him the opportunity to cash in on that. Why? Because maybe he would have been embarrassed to possibly lose to them because, you know, Shaheen knows the inner workings of his program and his playbook, yeah, real real hard. But, I mean, come on. So, so Shaw leaves us with one more quote, and he goes, that series is something that's been going on for years and years, Holloway says. I understand it. I was on that side of it. I needed the game for a lot of reasons, so I absolutely will. I'm not going to be excited to play that team, but, yes, I will do it. He hasn't stuck his foot in his mouth yet. He hasn't said anything wrong yet. He just gets it. You're right. When when he makes a mistake, I I will be true to my word. I will be on coach and say, hey, here was an opportunity to do better. But it's been three weeks now. Has he had a misstep yet?
1: No. Beyond winning the basketball games, he won the media games, Mike. Like I mentioned earlier, he was brought everywhere. And he came off as as potentially the most charming person any of these people had ever spoken to it's real exciting and, but like, you know what's funny is these past two and a half weeks have been a lot more stressful than they really needed to be I mean think about it they just kept winning and winning just kind of delaying the inevitable and we all had to play the game saying oh well, maybe he won't come. I mean, heck, I joined a front office Twitter spaces, and even I kind of started poking the bear, telling him, well, don't be surprised if Sha gets offers from other places and he might not come. It got to the point where, you know, CJ Nobile, our good friend, was hosting it. Pat Lawless felt the need to jump in and say, no, you just don't understand how loyal Sha is. And I'm like, okay, Pat, calm down poking the bear, just having a little fun with the situation. But in all honesty, it was stressful, man. We were just waiting for that announcement.
2: Yeah, speak for yourself. I mean, I I wanted it to be official as soon as it could be official, but there was nothing that made you feel that this wasn't going to come to fruition. It it just didn't make sense. We'll rewind all the way back to the beginning of the episode. He belongs here. The stars aligned. I think about this and say, how lucky are we? that the dominoes fell in place for Shaheen to be here, to be our coach. Think about that, right? There are not that many jobs that kind of aligned with what was the next destination for Kevin Willard. We talked about Kevin Willard potentially being a lifetime coach here, regardless of what you felt about him in terms of his success model, whether he had reached his ceiling or not, whether he was pushing the team to the next level that you wanted, he was at a point where if he wanted to stay, as the men's basketball coach for Seton Hall for the next 15-plus years,
1: he could have, correct? Absolutely. They were already getting ready to build him a statue. Like, come on, don't we fooling. O- okay,
2: but you have a position that opens up. It wasn't a Southern-based school. It wasn't a Virginia Tech. It wasn't one of these SEC schools. I, I know it's a Big Ten school, but it happens to fit the Northeast model. It's a step-up and pay. It's a football-based school. All that had to happen in a season where he was still successful. There was the possibility going into this year that Seton Hall was going to be on a pretty big rebuild. And then all of a sudden, Bryce Aiken comes back. Miles Kale comes back. Three big-time transfer impacts. And we're off and running. You knock off number four Michigan. You beat Rutgers. You beat Texas. We're flying high in the top 25. We're on the national scope. And maybe that's when it kind of all clicked. Marilyn's like, that's our guy. As Turgeon resigns early in the season, the dominoes are falling in place. Tom, it was the perfect storm. So no, I I don't think I was going to let anybody rain on my parade and throw shade that we would get hit with a curveball and ruin the most cosmic alignment of the stars that could have ever taken place for Shaheen to come home. Look, I'm on cloud nine. I thought i could have been this happy about Seton Hall basketball with no rational. <laughs> I'm not even being critical. There's so many things that can go wrong, but I am just on cloud nine right now. We're going to do the season recap. I probably should have been a little bit depressed the way it ended, but we're going to find all the silver linings moving forward. That's how I feel about Shaheen Holloway. And maybe it doesn't always end up in my final four dreams, but I am
1: excited i don't even know who you are anymore michael glass (laughs) half full mike desiri watch out (laughs) folks well mike it's certainly going to be one long summer waiting for practices to start up again but we're going to be there and we can't wait to see what shop puts together we can't we can't wait to see the coaching staff we can't wait to see the final roster And we can't wait to see that first game when Shaheen Holloway moves over 17 inches into that head coach position at Seton Hall. But when that happens, Mike, I know I'm going to be sitting on my couch yelling out, go Pirates! Go Big Blue! Thanks for joining another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to
2: follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at L coast pirates. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others for Tom Kaharski. I'm Mike Desiree, and you've been listening to left coast pirates. (laughs)